It's great to be together again in this unique season. We love you. We miss you. And uh, one of the things that we're seeing, a way to connect, it's so encouraging, is sharing our stories online. We just watched Peter, who's one of our elders, and also Rayleigh, who's seven years old. She watched mom share her story, and then she said, I'm in. I want to do it. And I think that's our church, a family, multi-generational, multicultural. Together, we abide with Jesus. We're glorifying Jesus together not just in our homes, but around the sound. And it's a beautiful thing to share your story. I encourage you to do it if you haven't yet. Also, this month, as we look ahead, I think all of us sense this is a time to pray. And this is a time for prayer and fasting. We're going to join together. April 30th is going to be a day that we set apart for fasting. And you can choose if that's one meal or sunrise to sunset. January is a time where we fast together. But we feel like this is an important time right now to set apart a day to pray and fast. You'll hear a lot more details about it. We're going to equip you, set you up uh, in terms of scripture and prayers that you can pray that day. We'll gather at 7 o'clock at night, Facebook Live, and pray together. But we need the Lord's help. We need the Lord's healing. We need his strength. We need awakening. We want to repent. We want to return to the Lord during this time and ask for restoration as well. That's April 30th. And today we're in a series. This series is in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We believe the Bible is powerful. It's living and active. It's transformative to get into God's Word. And in Luke, we're going to be going through different chapters. It's focused on Jesus because the Bible is all about Jesus. We believe life it's all about Jesus. God's word is strong. It transforms us. And we want to be in God's word together. Uh, and you know, one verse that has been in my mind and my heart during the last couple of weeks is Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And the apostle Paul writes this, and it's his desire. It's his yearning. He says, I want to know Christ in the power of the resurrection, even share in his sufferings and be like him becoming like Jesus. Those four things stand out to me. And right now, wherever you are, if that's your desire, you know it's important to meditate on God's word and then also declare it. And you can declare it, just repeat after me, and this will lead us into our prayer. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, even share in his sufferings and become like him. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your goodness, your provision. Thank you for your presence and your word. Thank you for our church family that we are walking together with you or abiding. And also, God, we thank you for everyone that's watching who this is so new. This is so new. And Jesus, we're all learning about you. We all want to grow in our faith. And we pray for anyone who's watching who hasn't yet put their trust in you. And God, we pray for depth in our relationship with you. We believe, God, that you communicate to us in a personal way. And our ears are open, our minds, our heart, our spirit. We're ready to receive, reveal who you are. Not who we think you are, but who you really are today. And Jesus, we thank you that you're so good. So good all the time and so good to us. We praise you, Lord, in your name. Amen. What is God doing now? During this challenging season, what is God doing right now? We're getting so much more time in our homes. Some things have stopped and slowed down. That's the question. What is God doing now? And I believe that God is pursuing us. God is pursuing you and I with his grace, with his presence. And sometimes it's fierce. 
Jesus is pursuing us, and that's exactly what we see him doing in Luke chapter 1. Jesus is pursuing four different people. We're going to look at four people, four stories of how Jesus is pursuing them, and he'll remind us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. These four stories are all interwoven with the story, the story of Jesus. Your story is connected to the story of Jesus. And as we look at Luke chapter 1, we're going to notice who Jesus is, who Jesus pursues, how Jesus pursues people. How is he pursuing you and I today? And then we're going to make a decision. It's going to be a response to the Lord. We want to say yes to the Lord together, but it's everyone's decision individually, and it's a decision of faith, and it comes from the revelation of who he is and how good he is. His kindness draws us to him. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 1 and four different people. The first person is Luke. He's the author of this gospel. There's four gospels in the Bible. That's a New Testament on the right-hand side. These four gospels, it means good news. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they focus on Jesus and everything he taught, his healing, his preaching, his miracles. We get to dive into his life. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught." The name Luke means light. It's close to my heart. One of our children, we, Lori and I, gave the middle name Luke. And Luke is also a reminder of who God pursues. God pursues people who have a job. Luke was a physician. Luke was full of compassion. You see in the Gospel of Luke, he really focuses on people and care and relationships. And you can see the physician's heart. God also pursues people who have many skills. Luke is going to be an author by the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke, as we learn historically, different accounts point that he was traveling with the Apostle Paul. Luke is thorough. He's comprehensive. He's detailed. And he does a lot of research. And he's intelligent. He's bright. And we see this played out. God wants to pursue us and then shine his light in our lives. And then his light will shine through our work and even our gifts. And we see that with Luke. It's also a reminder that God pursues people of all nations. It's reported that Luke is from Antioch in Syria. This is interesting. Luke is the only human author of the Bible who's not Jewish. And it's a reminder of God's love for Jew and Gentile. And today, every culture, nation, ethnicity, and people group, God loves everyone and pursues everyone. And he gives Luke an assignment. And it's a both and. Yes, he's a physician, but he's also going to be a missionary and an author. Has God been expanding your vision of how he wants to use you? You thought it would be in one area or one lane, but now he's saying, no, it's both and, and he's going to shine his light even more through you in this greater capacity during this season? Luke experienced that. How does God pursue us? God pursues us with his word. Luke was able to look back at the Old Testament scripture and then he continues to write. And as he writes, God writes through him. And God today is pursuing you with his word. Now, Luke writes to Theophilus, and that name means 
friend who loves God. He's writing to one person, but he's really writing then to everyone. And he writes Luke, the Gospel of Luke. He writes Acts, the history of the early church. Luke is written about 60 AD. And also, he writes to Greeks. Because he is uh, you know, not a Jew, he's thinking about people from his background also. Jews will read this, which is wonderful, but also he's in the shoes of those who are Greek. He knows in the Greek culture that they value perfection. So he is going to highlight that Jesus is perfect. Jesus is sinless. He is the perfect human who's going to die in our place. And he's also perfectly God. And of course, God is perfect. That's going to catch the attention of the Greek reader. He also knows that Greeks, they look up to heroes in their culture. And of course, it's not the only culture that does, but he's presenting Jesus as the ultimate hero, the hero of our stories, the hero of humanity, the hero who redeems and saves and the resurrection of Jesus and ultimately the return. There's no hero like Jesus. Our culture today is still fascinated with superheroes. And it's interesting as my kids, you know, check out some of those cartoons I just see over and over again, good and evil, good and evil. Well, Jesus is fully good. And he wins and he prevails. And Luke presents this as well. But really, Luke is also writing to us today. He couldn't see us. He didn't know. But he's writing. God's word goes into our hearts today. And think about the context then in the context today. Rene Schlepfer has a quote about the Bible. And let's take a look. The Bible was written by people in crisis to people in crisis and has sustained people through crisis for 2,000 years. You know, the Bible wasn't just written at a nice desk with comfortable music and perfect temperature. No, the norm was actually crisis. The authors were going through a crisis and we know what it's like to be in a crisis right now. And so we spend time in God's word. God's word strengthens us, sustains us, and we turn to the word and we just want to soak up God's word during this time. I encourage you to spend more time in God's Word. God's Word will change you. Uh, This hit home for me in my 20s, and it was during a time in my life, to be honest, where my emotions were really just a mess, and my thoughts were all over the place, and some of the darkest thoughts I've ever had in my life. And I thought, well, where's the hope? And I started to drink and meditate and absorb and chew on and um, memorize God's word and go through God's word. And it started a habit in my life. And it's just been the way God met me is that I would read multiple chapters every morning, sometimes at night, but usually right away in the morning because God speaks through his word. He communicates with his word. He will meet you in his word. And I started to notice as I did that, there was a steadying, there was a strengthening, there was an overcoming that came. And I encourage you to spend time in the word, not just to study the word, although that's so important, but meet God in the word. Jesus challenged religious leaders. He says, you study the scriptures, but you refuse to come to me. And he wants to meet us with both, to study the scriptures and meeting Jesus in the word. And we see this with Luke, that God pursues us through his word. He's pursuing you right now. Go to the word, continue to be in the word. During this time, God will strengthen you. He'll meet you there. And then there's a second person, and this is Elizabeth. And we see that God pursues us through provision. Through his provision, he pursues us. Notice that in verse 5, we read, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. 
Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. I'll continue in verse 23. When his time of service, that Zechariah, her husband, was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. It's kind of a shelter in place for her. I'm reading the Bible differently now, given our current situation. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and has taken away my disgrace among his people. God pursues those who are barren and who are disappointed who have a lack in one area of life. For so long, Elizabeth desired a child. She longed for a child and she prayed for a child and she waited and waited and now she's past age. She had seasoned and it didn't look like she would have a child. She was so disappointed in that culture. Children would take care of parents financially. They would care for parents. Parents wouldn't feel so lonely and she's just wondering why when other people have children do not have any children. What is going on? And then God pursues people who are in pain. There was a pain that she experienced, and especially in that culture, where people would look down upon people who didn't have a child. And they were cruel, and they were ruthless. And you know what? They would even say, if you don't have a child, it's because there's a curse on you. Terrible, destructive lie, doing so much damage, so much pain for Elizabeth for so many years. And yet, in the middle of all that disappointment and pain, She continues to honor and follow God. And we know that with her affection, her attention, her devotion, she's going to continue to humbly walk with God. Now that's inspiring. That should encourage us that even if we don't have the prayers answered yet, even if we don't have something that we've longed for, that we can continue to honor God with our affection and our devotion to him just like Elizabeth. And maybe you're wrestling with that right now. And as we think about Elizabeth, she understood her value is not measured by how the world defines our worth and value. Her culture said, you're not worth very much because you don't have a child. But she knew that's not right. She still longed for a child. She still had pain in her life. But she knew her value is based on who God is and that we're made in his image in the relationship with God where there's love. And she had a secure identity even though there was a crisis in her life. Now, how does God uh, meet us and pursue us? Sometimes it's through gifts and provision, sweet provision. Now, I want to share a story with you. This is actually from my sister and uh, one of her friends. And I have a picture here of two cats. And the two cats, we have Baxter near the window, and then Charlie is down below. These two cats, they really look alike. This is what happened. Charlie belonged to this family. And sadly, Charlie left. I mean, we've all, many of us have had an experience where a dog or a cat ran away, right? Charlie ran away and they were sad. They put up signs around the neighborhood. They were looking everywhere for Charlie. They had one cat. And someone reported to them, I found your cat. And they brought the cat over to their house and they thought, this is wonderful. Charlie's back. And they enjoyed time with, they thought, with Charlie. And they enjoyed time with their cat. And then they got a second call. And the second person said, we found your cat. 
And then they took a look at the cat they thought that was Charlie, and there were just a few little differences, very subtle. They didn't even know themselves that this was a different cat. And then the second cat came over, and that's Baxter. So we have Baxter and Charlie. And they said, wait a second. And so they ended up with two cats. And they tried, you know, to give Baxter away. They tried. They said, hey, who lost Baxter? Nobody responded. Now, could it be that God was just looking out for Baxter and needed a home? I don't know what your theology is with lost pets. And there's some mystery there. But in any case, what we know is they had trouble and now they have double for their trouble. No one claimed Baxter. They have Baxter and Charlie, doppelganger. They've got two cats. And sometimes in the Bible and sometimes in life, there's double for your trouble. With Job, he lost so much and then God gave him a double portion. With Elizabeth, there was so much barrenness and a sense of loss and grieving and mourning. And then look what God poured out for her. She was one of the first ones to find out that the Messiah is coming. And then 70 miles to the north in Nazareth, her niece, Mary. And think of those two. People looked down upon them. A woman who's past the age of bearing child or what people would expect. And what, what about Mary, a young virgin? In that culture, those people were sadly second rate, but God loves and pursues everyone. And God brought two children, a double blessing, John the Baptist, Jesus. And then for Elizabeth to hear the good news that she's going to have a child, she says, the Lord has done this and God's grace overflows. It's a similar parallel to the Old Testament when Sarah was appearing to be past age. And yet God had a plan to bless Sarah and Abraham and then to reach the nations. God had a plan to bless Elizabeth and then reach the nations. And God does it again in all seasons, in all seasons. We know this truth. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By God's grace, and not just to know about him, but to know him. This verse tells us, rely on the Lord and he will give you power. He'll give you everything you need, whether it's in the middle of the crisis, before the crisis, or after the coronavirus starts to fade. Whether Elizabeth didn't have a child or she has a child, Again, God will give us what we need. His grace is sufficient. We need to look to him, rely on him, and God will meet us even in the provision. He's drawing us closer to that close relationship with him. We've seen with Luke through his word. Now we also see with Elizabeth through provision. And now let's take a look at Zechariah and how God pursues us through an opportunity, through a certain moment, certain moments in our lives that stand out and how God pursues us in those memorable moments. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot. According to the custom of the priesthood, he would go into the temple of the Lord and then burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. And in verse 18, we also read, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? 
I'm an old man and my, wealth, my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. God pursues people who have a godly heritage. He's from a priestly line. Maybe you have parents who are solid in the faith, grandparents who have set an example for you. Maybe you come from a Christian home and early on in life, you saw how other people lived out their faith. But I'll tell you, Zechariah is about to go deeper with God. And even if you have people around you who love the Lord, there's times when you know you've got to own your own faith. You really do. And you have to go choose to go deeper with the Lord. And that's where God's taking Zechariah. That could be true of you in this season. Also, God pursues people who are serving the Lord. You know, back in David's time, David divided the priests into 24 units of about 1,000 priests each. And now Abijah, that's the division where Zechariah is a part of. What does this mean? There's a rotation for the temple that during certain times of the year, a different division would come in. And now it's Zechariah's division. A thousand priests show up at the temple and God's going to meet him there and God will meet you when you're actively serving the Lord. Even in the middle of that, God will pursue you, just like Zechariah. And God pursues people who are leading. Sometimes it's lonely with leadership and you feel that responsibility. Zechariah had a role, the priests during that day. They were responsible for the temple and the upkeep and the teaching and the worship services and making sure everything's honoring the Lord. And sometimes in leadership, you're out on a limb and you're giving and you're giving, but God will meet you there just like he meets Zechariah. God knows those moments in our life, those kairos moments. In the Greek, that just means a set-apart moment, this window of opportunity. And that's what we're reading about in Zechariah's life. Different opportunities and moments, they come to us from the Lord. Here's a picture as we think back a week ago to Easter and all that God was doing. Some of the leaders in our church decided to do this, which take a look, these are blessing bags right here. And it was something organic. It's not planned by the church. I'll tell you, some of the greatest ministry during the week is not planned by a church. It's just people abiding with Jesus. And as God guides them, they bring love and bring love to their neighbors. These blessing bags, dozens of them. You see food and some treats. I think that's toilet paper right there, maybe paper towel. They brought these blessing bags and they invited people to this online service all around their neighborhood. They just invited everybody. I thought they saw a moment and they said, let's glorify the Lord. Let's love our neighbors. I was listening to someone who said, I've met more neighbors in the last three weeks than 12 years combined. I see it where I'm just walking along the street and all of a sudden, not up close, you know, honoring social distancing, but people will just want to talk a little bit connect. Sometimes they would usually be in their homes or just go from their garage to their homes and now they want to connect. I was walking today, went for a walk and one of the ladies in our neighborhood said, I want to tell you something. Can you pray for this? She asked me to pray for a situation close to her heart. There's a unique time right now. There's moments we say, let's serve the Lord. Let's really love our neighbors. We read about it in the Bible. Let's really do it. What an incredible moment we have. Zechariah had a moment, and it was really once in a lifetime. They had lots, and they would, through the lots, ultimately God's sovereign, 
as they cast those, a different priest would be chosen to go into the center of the temple, the Holy of Holies. And Zechariah was chosen. And I want to tell you, this is a once in a lifetime. Out of a thousand, he was chosen. And he would go into the Holy of Holies to offer incense. Now, not only was his division there taking care of the temple, not only was he chosen to go into the Holy of Holies, but now in the Holy of Holies, just right there in God's presence, an angel comes. There's only two angels we know by name in Scripture. That's uh, Gabriel and Michael. And here's Gabriel. Gabriel had appeared over 500 years before this with Daniel. And now Gabriel's here. And now Gabriel has a message. And the message is, Zechariah's going to have a child. Elizabeth and Zechariah are going to be parents. And he hears this, and it's incredible news. And he's trying to take all of this in. And the Bible says he's gripped with fear which literally means fear fell on him. We can relate. There's times during the week where we feel like fear falls on us. And he's gripped with fear with the angel. And then he hears this news and it's like, wait a second, this is too good. This feels like a setup. This is too good. And he chooses to doubt God. Have you ever chosen to doubt God because it just feels too good? I mean, wait a minute. Jesus came from heaven to earth and he took on flesh and he died for our sins and he overcame death. And now we can live with God, with peace forever, with no more sickness and mourning and pain. Some people hear that and say, that's just too good or it's too big. I've longed for it. I didn't, I didn't really believe it would ever happen. I've longed for it, but I'm going to give you pushback here. I'm not ready to receive that, God. It's too good. It's too big. And he chose doubt instead. But there's a process when you and I doubt, and maybe you've been in a season of doubt, maybe it's lasted much longer than a moment, maybe it's been a couple years, a couple weeks, but in those moments of doubt, Jesus still pursues you. He still pursues you, and it's a process, and Zechariah is going to repent from the doubt, and he's going to trust God. He's going to give God a yes. He's going to say yes to God, but he's going to move from doubt to believing and trusting. And this is what happens. It's in silence. It's in solitude. The angel says, because of your doubt, you're not going to be able to speak until this child is born. Now, there's two things there. One is, yes, there's a consequence for the doubt. And secondly, this is also a sign. It's a sign that the vision's real, that the angel's trustworthy, and that he will speak again after the child is born. The angel Gabriel says this child's name will be John, and this is how it's played out. The birth of, now we know John the Baptist, he's born, and you know what the crowd says? His name should be Zechariah, just like his daddy. But the crowd isn't always lined up with God. And mom is. She's sensitive. She knows. She says, now his name should be John. And they look over to dad and they say, we all think he should have your name. She says, Elizabeth says, the name's John. And you know what Zechariah does? He says, give me that writing tablet. And he writes down, his name is John with an exclamation point. And they take John the Baptist to be circumcised after eight days. And his name is John and Zechariah's tongue is loosed, and he's praising the Lord. You know what you do when the doubt is over? You just praise the Lord with all your heart. Doubt wants to stop your praise. But in silence and solitude, during this coronavirus, there's a lot more silence and solitude. This is a chance to listen to God, listen to his word, receive from the Lord, receive more from the Lord, his truth, his grace, his patience, his mercy, repent, believe, praise the Lord, and continue to receive and abide with Jesus. You know, your yes isn't just for you. Your believing isn't just for you. 
How you respond to Jesus will affect the next generations, not only in family, but also in our community, the church, the country. Your response to the Lord affects the next generations. And I think about Zechariah and Elizabeth and their yes and what that meant to John the Baptist and then his life. But I also think about the wilderness. And here's a reminder to receive from the Lord. Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites are in the wilderness. In verse 21, we read, Each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed. And this is the manna, God's provision again in the wilderness. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. They gathered twice as much because God said there's a Sabbath. God put a rhythm and an order into our lives where he says, work for six days and then take a Sabbath. Take a Sabbath rest. Now, serve me with all your heart for six. Take the Sabbath rest. Take that rest for a day. That's the rhythm that God instituted from the beginning of the Bible. And so that's why they wouldn't pick up the manna on a Sabbath or at least they shouldn't pick up the manna on a Sabbath. And there's that provision, abiding provision. And you know what's interesting? Some of them got the rhythm, some didn't. But it was a smaller thing to pick up the manna. The bigger piece was going into the promised land. And God wants you to trust him with the small things and the big things. God wants you to trust picking up the manna each day, knowing when to rest, but also God wants you to trust him with the big stuff, eternal life, promised land, his great promises. God wants us to trust him with both. Zechariah is learning to trust him not only with the smaller stuff, like some work on the temple, but also trust him with this massive provision, this incredible moment. In those moments, God is pursuing you. Memorable moments. Let's not doubt, let's repent, let's receive from the Lord and trust the Lord like we see where Zechariah is when he praises the Lord, when he can speak again. Let our mouths be loose to praise the Lord. And then here's the fourth one. We've looked at Luke, Elizabeth, Zechariah, and John the Baptist. We're gonna go into more details next week, but John the Baptist, this is how God provides a calling in our lives. Take a look at verse 14. And we read this description regarding John the Baptist, this child that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, when you think about John the Baptist, God pursues people who are not born yet. God loves people who are still unborn. Even in a mother's womb, God forms us, we're wonderfully made, and he cares about us before the delivery. And we see with John the Baptist, also we see that God cares and pursues for people who are courageous. Maybe you notice the name Herod, this is Herod the Great, this is Herod, not so great, who's gonna kill 
little children trying to wipe out Jesus because of jealousy. John the Baptist is going to approach leaders. He's going to call people out in their sin. He's going to have, it's going to be a purification. Maybe you feel like this is a season of purification right now. John the Baptist preparing the way for the Lord. He's going to have courage to call people. Truth is truth. Sin is sin. He's going to bring the word of the Lord fearless because he's free from fearing people and he's honoring the Lord. God pursues people who live like that and comes alongside of them in a special way. And he's also uh, pursuing the next generation. There's hope in the next generation. There's power in the next generation. There's potential in the next generation. God sees the next generation, and he raises up the next generation. And sometimes it looks different than the previous generation, and that's okay because God's doing a new thing in the next generation. We see this with John the Baptist. There's a calling on his life. I'll tell you, there's a calling on your life. There's a calling on your life. And sometimes it's a discovery process to know what is not my calling. You know, during this time, it's important to keep a sense of humor, a lot of funny memes going around. Here's one, Sparky, trying to figure out his calling. After listening to Linda, his human, for 12 days while in quarantine, as she complained for hours on end, Sparky realized he was not cut out to be an emotional support dog. Sparky's learning what he is and isn't called to do. Maybe you've learned over the years what you're not called to do, and maybe you're really honing in on what you're called to do. When we think of John the Baptist, what is that calling? It's gonna, he's going to be a joy and delight to his parents. He's not going to touch wine. That was linked to a Nazarite vow. And it's part of it. But uh, there's an urgency. He's not going to be drinking wine. There's an urgency to his message. There's a fervency to his message. He's filled with the Holy Spirit since birth. By the way, mom and dad in Luke chapter 1 are also filled with the Holy Spirit. God works through families filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe your home, it hasn't been so spiritually vibrant what if our homes really changed? The spiritual temperature changed in our homes. Whether we're single, married, uh, lots of kids, the spiritual climate in our homes, in their family, they're moving from doubt, they're moving, they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit in our homes. Not just when we step into church and then seek God, but this family. God works through families and people be brought back to God. And you think about these stories and how God pursues us through his word, through his provision, different moments and opportunities, through the calling he has on your life, through the gifting he has for you, these different ways that God leads us to his presence. His presence, there's nothing greater than the presence of God. And he reminds us to drop our idols and turn to him in his presence. How will you respond today as you hear the truth that Jesus is pursuing you how will you respond? What will your response be? And I want to share that verse, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 again. We declared it at the beginning. Now, if you're ready, let's declare it again. Uh, let's just say this whole verse together. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, even becoming like him, even in his death. We declare that we want to know Christ, the power of the resurrection, even suffer with Jesus for his glory and become like him. That's our desire. You know, as we consider the time that John the Baptist arrived, it was a time of breakthrough. And I believe that this is a time of breakthrough. They had waited about 400 years of silence. And now God starts to move. Starts to move through Zechariah, Elizabeth, John the Baptist. And I believe God is moving in a special way. It might feel like it's been 400 years since we've seen awakening and a revival in our country. 
I, my hope is that we would look back over this time of the coronavirus and as bad as it is with the coronavirus, we would say something even greater has happened. There's been a stirring. There's been a returning to God. There's been healing in the home, healing in the families. There's a spiritual awakening and we're coming alive. We're coming alive. There's a breakthrough that God is bringing. In the darkest times, that's when God often shines the brightest light and brings his hope. And would we say yes to the Lord? You say, this is an unlikely group of people. God works through ordinary people, unlikely people, but it's very intentional. It's very intentional what God is doing in your life right now as he pursues you, that your heart would return to him, that he would get the glory both then and now. We can't stay stagnant. We can't stay neutral. God is pursuing us, and that demands a response, a response of trust in believing. Let's say yes to the Lord today. Let's say yes to receive the Holy Spirit. Let's say yes to more of his word. Let's say yes to healing in the home. Let's say yes to turning from sin and turning back to God. Let's say yes for awakening in our land. Let's say yes to every good provision that the Lord is bringing. Let's walk together. Let's draw close to the presence of Jesus. I want to pray right now. The worship team is then going to come up and uh, we're going to worship the Lord together. Father God, we thank you for your presence Nothing means more to us than your presence. God, thank you that you pursue us even when we're doubting, when we're off base, when we're disappointed, when we're in pain, you still pursue us. We sense, Jesus, how you're pursuing us now. And we want to say yes to you. We want to say yes together to our calling, to using our gifts for your glory, to growing in our faith, to going deeper, to owning our faith. We want to say yes to the awakening that you would bring at this time in our hearts, homes, church, family, and around the nation. God, we say yes to you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.